Hey, we are back. It is another episode of uh, horror. <laughs> you just <laughs> from the tap. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. <laughs> we totally know the name of our podcast. <laughs> I almost said it backwards. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Witch Hats, Cats, and Horror. Lots of things with cats. <laughs> and the uh, little ditty for the crooked man references a cat. Oh, boom. A crooked cat. Uh, it's Katie and Izzy. We're back. And uh, just like we promised, it's a sequel. <laughs> we are on number two of this week's three releases in honor for of... The Conjuring 3, which is out now. So please go watch it, because that's going to be our ep next episode, and we don't really want to be like the person that spoil people that spoil things. Exactly. So go watch it so that you can... This is why we're giving you time, which is why we started these late. So uh, we're giving yes. you time to watch that's... the new one so we can talk about it later. That's why we started them late. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All part of the master plan. <laughs> right, yeah. 100%. Today we're talking about The Conjuring 2, supernatural horror, just like the first one, in case that was a spoiler alert. <laughs> it did come out in 2016, so we've given you a couple of years to watch this. And this too was directed by James Wan. One of the best horror directors around at this point. I just saying. One of the reasons I really like doing this is because I'm not really one of those people who follows directors and things like that. Um, but learning about them here, now I, I'm hoping that I'll be able to like identify James Wan movies in the future. And if I see something that says the name James Wan, I'm going to be like, I want to see that. Mm -hmm. I feel like a learning You do want to see that. <laughs> um, it was also written by Chad and his twin brother, Carrie Hayes, again. Well, you know what? I'm going to turn that around because I said it that order last time. This was written by Carrie and his twin brother, Chad Hayes, this time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there was also a new writer attributed named David Leslie Johnson, who has credits for a new Nightmare on Elm Street. I went looking for that because I got really curious because I was like, the only new one there's been was like 2010. So it's they're doing another another remake of... <laughs> <laughs> the 1984 version of Nightmare on Elm Street, and I, I have there's no there's like nothing, no other details. I too went looking, and all I could find was an article referencing Elijah Wood in 2020 that said he and his, I guess he owns a production company now. Um, yeah, he and his partner through their company Spectre Vision were trying to uh, get it started. So I don't know if he's the one spearheading Elijah. It. Elijah Wood is very well known to be a big horror fanatic. Like, he's always been in love with horror movies and things like that. And he's come out and said that he wanted to work on his own stuff. So this doesn't surprise me. And that actually kind of excites me. Hi. It so. would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, in addition to the new Nightmare on Elm Street, fingers crossed that it happens and that it's good. Uh, of course... David Leslie Johnson has also worked on Aquaman 2. He assisted with Conjuring 3. He's done Walking Dead episodes. He did the Red Riding Hood with uh, Amanda Siegfried. 
throw forward Kay. to a potential first episode. I uh, enjoy that episode. movie. Um, I do enjoy that. Movie. And then Orphan. See, this is the one I was referencing when you were like, Orphan, the little known oh. one. This was the writer. Which is still such an underrated horror movie because it's so damn good. Uh, so you should go watch it. And then the cast, of course, we go back to having our original from Conjuring 1, uh, Lorraine Warren, which is played by um, Vera Farmiga. From Farmiga, Farmiga. The one thing I, I we didn't know. look up was I, how to pronounce her name. <laughs> it's really confusing. Um, and then Ed Warren, who uh, is uh, was born Warren Edward Miney, which I still think is so awkward that he changed it around, uh, is Patrick Wilson, who is very well known in the horror films or horror industry because he was also in Insidious. I forgot to mention this last time. He is one of the main actors in Insidious. Nope, you mentioned it. Did I? Oh, good. <laughs> okay. Um, then some new actors that we get is 10 year old Janet, um, sorry, 10 year old Janet Hodgson, who is played by Madison Wolf. She, uh, this is, she's going to be our main focal point of this movie, along with Peggy, who plays her mother. And that is played by Frances O'Connor, um, who is known for AI, artificial intelligence. Is that what you mean? Is that a movie? Yes, that's the okay. one with the the little boy who's a robot and his parents like throw him out, but no one believes that he's a robot and it's really sad and depressing and I've no never seen this movie. <laughs> Janet's older sister Margaret was played by Lauren Esposito. Her non-stuttering brother Billy was played by Benjamin Hay and Johnny, the stuttering younger brother is Patrick McCauley. I didn't see anything big for any of those kids after this movie. They've been in, like, small stuff, but nothing big. So that's why I didn't really talk about them. That's fair. Um, fun little fact, an Easter egg that I'm going to point out. Little Easter eggs here and there for certain things. Um, the composer for many of these films also plays demons and ghosts in them. And I'm talking about, like, the Conjuring uh, universe and stuff. So Joseph Bashara is best known as a composer and having done music for Insidious films, which, like, he does, like, the high violin song, and it just drives me nuts, which I find creepy as hell. He's done a lot of, like, the Conjuring movie universes as well, or the Conjuring universe stuff as well. Um, but behind the scenes, you don't know, unless you really look it up like we do in detail. Um, he plays Beth Sheba in The Conjuring. If you didn't know, that was played by a man. Fun fact. Um, but he also appears as other demonic figures in Annabelle, Annabelle's creation, and uh, The Conjuring 2. So we'll talk about it later. Who is he in The Conjuring 2? So he in The Conjuring 2 plays um, the nun, uh, or not the nun, but, uh, well, I guess the nun technically, <laughs> um, Valak. <laughs> Uh, but he, uh, alongside Bonnie Aarons, portray Valak, who is known as the demon nun, the scary nun, the nun that's terrifying, the nun. <laughs> the one who's a nun, but not a nun, but a demon who's not a demon. Exactly. Gotcha. So I can't figure out who plays which one, but I'm wondering if when you watch, there's like a height difference that you can like subtly tell. But I Yeah, because she's tall, isn't she? I'm also feeling like... Uh... James Wan would have put in the work to like make sure you can't tell who the, which one's which or which. Oh yeah, with which. yeah, he's too good. But the best part about like Bashara being in the Conjuring 
uh, and with James Wan is he also connects the Conjuring universe with the Insidious franchise too, because he's also the lipstick demon it's or not Darth Maul. The Conjuring universe. It's the Warren verse. Gosh, get it right. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. But nevertheless, it does connect the two. Going back to actually more info on Conjuring 2, though, it got 13 nominations and four wins, including box, uh, top box, top box office, Not best box horror, tops, top box. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's where I got confused. Uh, best horror TV spot, best horror director, obviously, duh, and uh, best horror remake or sequel because it was the second to Conjuring. Maybe you didn't connect that one. <laughs> What? Spoiler alert just, number two. <laughs> I know. I was just trying to help. I was just, you know, connecting those dots. That's what we do. It's it's another red. Oh, dude. When I was I when I was rewatching all of these for the new one coming out, I was like, red line. There's a new red line. Red string. <laughs> connecting everything. I was like, oh my god. And then my friends had no idea what I was talking about, and it was cool because you would have. <laughs> yeah, I like rewatching stuff synopsis again this is going to be a long one because we're going to dive into it as we're doing it uh because we love these movies and they deserve the the the, all of the detail that goes into this (laughs) and there's a lot in the movie that we just want to make sure we're pointing attention to without confusing everybody later yeah so the synopsis for this one is also again based off a warren investigation this investigation is into the it's called the Enfield Haunting. Mm-hmm. And just like in the first movie, you kind of get glimpses of some of the other investigations the Warrens have been a part of. This one mm-hmm. caught the Amityville Haunting. Uh, there's the Nun storyline, which we'll talk about later. But uh, that gets its own spinoff, as hopefully you know. And then, of course, there's... <laughs> throwbacks to the conjuring and then of course the enfield haunting which is the main movie mm-hmm. and this movie opens with lorraine remembering the amityville horror investigation which they did in 1976 so it was six years after the parent investigation conjuring one yes not that yeah yeah well the hodgson case not amityville i'm sorry i'm gonna confuse everybody now that was five years after. There we go. Right. 71. Math. You're right. You're right. Math. Ma- math is hard. Math. Uh, they were called by the Lutz family, who at the time had owned the Amityville Horror House. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lutz family had fled the house, called the Warrens, and they bring everyone back and say, you know what's a great thing to do when you're terrified? A seance. Isn't that where every horror movie leads to? Let's do a seance or a Ouija board. It's one of the two. Which at least they brought the seance into this one because we talked about in the first Conjuring in real life, they did do a seance, but that wasn't in the movie. Right. So that's maybe that's part of the reason they brought that into the Amityville one. But my question, would you or have you ever done a seance? I've played with a Ouija board. That's not a seance. A couple, couple of different times. But I've never done like a true seance. Um, I would be interested in it, but I would be very nervous and scared, especially like depending on like where we were. I would have, just like you, many stipulations. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'd be like, I will go, but it has to be a hundred miles from my house. <laughs> it has to be something that can't stick to me. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't like latch on to you as a person. Rather, it needs to like stay in the house vicinity. <laughs> yes, I think my first one would have to be like a happy entity, not a haunted house. That is scary. Um, or, or just do the uh, the charmed thing and do a seance in the middle of as you're in jury duty to figure out who killed the person. Exactly. But they were bringing <laughs> up the good person, not the evil. So they do the seance in the Amityville house with the Lutz family. And it like very quickly gives you a backstory. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have more to that backstory. But. Did you want to do your Easter egg first? Oh, yeah, because it just has to do with, like, the very opening sequence. Um, so the Amityville uh, Amityville Horror House is known. It's, it's like, really super well-known because it has such an interesting look to it. And it has very specific windows that has always kind of looked like eyes on the side of it. And so the coolest thing that I think is, like, the very opening, like, the very first shot of this, of The Conjuring 2 is the camera backs into the house from the inside of those two windows and it's a quote from Lorraine talking about how that haunting still sticks with her and how she just it still scares her to this day um and you know it's the the Amityville house just by looking at the the windows which I think is super interesting because I I mean I've never seen another house like that I don't know about you but it's another like the house is alive thing like in the first one and the transitions exactly and like that house has always been like unmistakable so i think it's really great and the real life backstory for the amityville haunting i'm gonna give a very i call it brief <laughs> but it's still like a page worth well, and really quick, in The Conjuring, at the very end of The Conjuring, the first movie, they make reference to a case that they get called on that, that a priest wants them to look at that's in Long Island that he'd like to discuss. I thought you said and Connecticut. That's, uh, there's a case in Long Island he'd like us he'd like to discuss, gotcha. is what is a quote that they have here. Um, so that is the, that's the Amityville house. And so, and that's only... That was only five years after the parent haunting. So it took him five years to figure out to go to that house or not. According to the Warren verse movies. <laughs> yes. Five years. Correct. <clears throat> um, but it could be another thing where the hauntings were happening and they were visiting, but they just didn't do anything. But anyways. Yeah. Um, the movie tells you that the year before the Lutz family moved in, a man named Robbie DeFeo murdered his family, then claimed that he had been possessed. So I'm not going to give too many details about the actual murder because we are going to do the Amityville Horror movies eventually, and I want to save that kind of juicy stuff for that episode. Uh, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the, the after effects, basically. Uh, so Robert DeFeo was charged for murdering his family on November 13th, 1974. I believe he murdered them uh, November 12th, 1974. Oh, okay. And his family that he murdered, uh, his two parents, his sister Dawn, who was 18, Allison was 13, brothers Mark, 
and John, who were 12 and 7. His trial began October 14, 1975, and he and his defense lawyer, William Weber, mounted... I don't like that word. <laughs> That's awkward. He and his <laughs> defense lawyer, William Weber, took the defense of insanity with DeFeo claiming that voices were in his head and they had urged him to kill his family. The insanity plea was supported by the psychiatrist for the defense, Dr. Daniel Schwartz, and the psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolin, believed that although DeFeo had used drugs such as heroin and LSD. Um, he also had antisocial personality disorder, but he was completely aware of what he was doing. So that kind of trumped that uh, insanity plea, I guess. He was sentenced to six consecutive sentences of 25 years to life on November 4th, 1975. And I pulled all this stuff from Murderpedia, by the way. It's a really deep and intense website that is very sad, but interesting. From the name, I can only assume. Uh, so back to the movie. During the seance, they do another wand transition, which I freaking love. Um, mm-hmm. and Lorraine astro projects where she still can see the seance. Like you still see both timelines at the same time, but her astral projection self is in the past and right. she has taken the position of Robert DeFeo. And so like the form. she is walking through the house, murdering the family as DeFeo had done. You know when you hear the whispering in her ears that's like, kill, kill that. You know that kind of thing that you hear? Uh-huh. Does it not remind you of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets when the basilisk, basilisk is like sliding through the hallways and it's like, kill, kill, kill. <laughs> no, because this one's like creepy little children voices and that one's like a sneaky, elongated thing. But See, I get- part, I, I listen to it in my headphones. This, like, just before this, before we started recording, and it legit sounds, like, it sounds a lot closer to the Basilisk, and I think it's hilarious. Um, interesting. But, I digress. Uh, and then, but yeah, so she hears those voices, which is, like, either the demon or the schizophrenia, who knows, uh, for DeFeo going on. And on November 30th, 2000, real world ronald defeo met with rick osuna who wrote slash authored i guess is the more intelligent word to use the night the defeos died uh, which was published in 2002 i'm gonna go find it and read it because it sounds really interesting Uh, but according to osuna defeo claimed that he had committed the murders with his sister dawn and two unnamed friends uh he said that they had gotten in this big fight with his dad And he and his sister had made this intense plan to kill their parents. But on the night that they killed the parents, Don, like, diverted from their plan and decided to murder the other three siblings. uh, Because she was like, they're witnesses. Uh, Yeah. And then he said that he was so mad that his sister had murdered them that he knocked her out and then shot her in the head. Because that was logical uh it has been reported that during the original police investigation 
in investigation. My Sean Connery. Traces of gunpowder were found on Don's nightgown. Um, depending on how that was, I guess, you, they, some people say that it does show that she may have discharged a firearm. It could just be that she was really close to, the, to him when she got shot and like the way that it came off. Nobody knows because nobody followed up on that and they just were like, case closed, we're not going to do anything about it. But also, like, what are you going to do that many years later, you know? So, yeah, uh, there were no witnesses. But yeah, I just thought that was like an interesting little little tidbit. I don't think it's known unless I don't think that's a big like known fact unless you've done super big research on Amityville. So I think that's cool. It's a good little addition. It's just one another one of those cases where you're like, we'll never know. Sideline. <laughs> do you I like to think that when I die all the secrets of things that I have ever wondered will just come flooding to me like who killed you'll just know all the answers of the universe exactly like who killed John Benet Ramsey and where the hell did my keys go that I still have yet <laughs> to find and just you know things like that I just I want all those answers every one of them everyone it'll be five hours of me just watching where all my socks went <laughs> They went to laundry land, apparel's promised land. Oh my gosh. Searching through my dresser drawers, I'm hoping to find no. a pair of decent socks that I can call mine. I only no. found a few, but none that make a match. Not a single pair of socks in this entire batch. Hey, Mom, I yell, and she runs in to see my face of dread. Why? I'm so sad that that takes up space in my head. Why? <laughs> That was some uh, uh, Canyon View. I don't know, like choir f- bullshit. Yeah, oh my grade, god! I can't believe choir. you remember that shit. I there's no way I could have remembered that. That is the only song I remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably where my socks went. They're in that space of my brain, <laughs> blocked by that stupid song. But anyways, <laughs> uh, murder. Serious hauntings, seances. So she goes into the basement, and there's this super spooky scene. Socks are hiding there. <laughs> That's where all my missing <laughs> socks are. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, she's in the basement, and there's this super spooky scene where the nun, the demon nun, I guess, and like a shadowy figure appear and the shadowy figure gets speared by something and then she freaks out well that's because she asks what she what do you want she's like what do you want and it shows him it shows her that the shadow figure and then it's speared uh and then it jumps as these movies do mm-hmm. <clears throat> always <laughs> keeps you on your toes yeah and it goes <laughs> to they like to you know break it up haunting family life haunting you get the, you get family. the gist of everything going on all at once kind of uh, so then it switches to enfield england where you meet the hodgson family and this is supposed to have been august 1977 so mm-hmm. one year after the amityville horror investigation yes uh you get 
Ow, good lord. <laughs> ah! Valak, is that you? <laughs> you get introduced to the four kids, Janet, Margaret, Johnny, and Billy. And you learn right off the bat that their mom is stressed as fuck and their family is struggling hard. Which, as we know, leaves a family vulnerable to a good old haunting. Uh, for some reason, Johnny, the baby who stutters, is obsessed with biscuits. Did you notice, like, all of his lines, he says biscuits. He, he was so pumped about the cookies, about biscuits. A biscuit! And then when his yeah. mom's sad, he's like, you want a biscuit? And then when he goes to bed, he's <laughs> like, can I get a biscuit? <laughs> it's because it's cookies make everything better. But, yeah, that's like his whole thing was biscuits. Uh, you, you learn... Nope, that's not what I wanted to say. Uh, you don't really get to see Billy very much. I, he doesn't really play a role. Mm-mm. He's just kind of there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Margaret shares the room with Janet, which is why she is featured at all, basically. Uh, you do get a glimpse of the Warrens being dragged through the mud on a TV interview. Mm-hmm. Because after, I guess, the Amityville Horror went really big, their investigation... They kind of got launched into the limelight um, and everyone was either, you know, very polarized. Like, yes, that happened. Or, wow, how can you fake people? You're such awful people. Right. Uh, And at one point, the conversation gets really heated and Ed said something to this guy who's being like, oh, you guys are so false. And he says, like, what are you the professor of or something like that? And he never mm-hmm. answers. And so I Googled it because this is based off a true interview that happened. And what I found, I think, I think this is the guy. His name is Stephen Kaplan. And he was also a paranormal investigator, self-proclaimed vampirologist, and founder director oh. of the Vampire Research Center and the Parapsychology Institute of America, which has since moved. It's not in New York anymore, I don't think. Um but he also, in real life, like claimed to have a PhD, which has been not validated. Um, That's so funny. It reminds me of um, what we do in the shadows, the TV show, because the vampire, who are real in this realm, don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> so the house gets haunted, and they're like, "No, nope, the ghosts aren't real." And so that's all I can think of is in this situation. <laughs> Maybe that's a thing. Um, Homeboy, vampires are real, but ghosts, that's bullshit. Yeah, I was like, what about the, uh, what is it, the pot calling the kettle black, or the kettle is black and the the pot pot is also black? I don't know. Whatever that phrase is. (laughs) I think it's the pot coloring itself black. The kettle color. I don't know. I don't remember. We just made, you know what? That's an old-timey reference. From now on, it's the kettle, no, the pot coloring itself black. I don't know why, but that's what the phrase is going to be. <laughs> it's nice. Whenever I think you're being a jerk, I'm just going to say, color yourself black, young lady. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Get in that pot. Paint it. Did, you... <laughs> like, did she just tell me to get in that pot? But it's also like hey. a good throwback to the first Conjuring where we said they did a scene specifically just to show that the Warrens didn't just walk into a house and automatically say, why wow, you're haunted. Um, they... Yeah. They were debugging stuff. Yeah. Um, the other thing about this scene 
Nope, said that already. All right, so after this, it cuts back to England where Janet has been waking up downstairs. Again, the transitions. Oh, so good. Describe one because I... So so in this case, in this case, uh, you get a close-up of Janet sleeping in her bed. Like she had just gone to bed and you get like a zoom in into her face basically. So it's a close-up. Then you get a, you hear a thud and it zooms out and all of a sudden you're in the fucking living room. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. So it looks like the it obviously looks like the scene never changed cuz it it uh, it doesn't look like it did. It's like Annabellum. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, like when she uh, yeah. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> that same night that Katie just described the transition, right before going to bed, you see Johnny and Janet practicing a rhyme called the crooked man to help with his stutter and it's this again another really cool looking music box that has like the circulating lights and it does the shadows on the wall yeah um that is also the rhyme that you heard we gave a snippet at the beginning because it's creepy as fuck with these little kids doing it (laughs) yeah so originally uh here's another one of my tidbits uh the crooked man was um it like they, it kind of got turned into a scary story because originally it was just a simple um, mother goose nursery rhyme, and it's there was a crooked man. He walked a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence against a crooked style. He brought <clears throat> he bought a crooked crooked cat, which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. Um, at its base, it's not creepy at all. Yeah. But it has it has taken on the idea of being very like very creepy, and it's there's a supposed story behind the Crooked Man, um, where it's reputed to be a Scottish general, Sir Alexander Leslie, who signed a covenant securing religious and political freedom for Scotland between Scotland and England, um, which the crooked style in the poem is the alliance between the parliaments of England and Scotland on their border. Wow, someone but, really deep into this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I love this nursery rhyme. I always have. And um, so that's its supposed origin um, back in 1842. And there have been talks about it being the new um, spinoff of the Conjuring series um, in, in the Warren verse, as you like to call it. Um, and we got, fir- when did we first hear about this? 2016, when this movie came out. And so we haven't really heard much of it since. And writers, you know, it's been a question because so many people are so curious. They portrayed him in a very curi- like creepy manner, which is beautiful. You know, everybody kept asking after this movie released, you know, when is this movie going to come out? When is Because the, the writer, I don't remember which one, right off of my head. Um, the non-twin. Yeah, they, uh, he decided that he really enjoyed The Crooked Man and therefore, like, he wanted to make its own spinoff and it could obviously be a really great, um, origin story just like Annabelle was. But after seeing the success of The Nun and the popularity of The Nun, that kind of got pushed away because everybody thought The Nun was so creepy and so eerie that they wanted an orange origin story on her. So, The Crooked Man is still in 
development kind of uh they're working on the script right now they say it's uh conjuring franchise producer peter safran says that the script is not ready yet it still has things to be finished um and that things wouldn't progress past that stage until he was uh they considered the story like perfectly ready so they're really putting a lot of time into the crooked man to try and make it its own origin story as successful as these are basically there's there's also a crooked man movie that came out in 2016 but it is not associated in any way with these movies right yeah and i haven't seen that i was curious about that though um because one of my favorite djs actually does a remix of the crooked man song and it's so so cool um but i digress from that and anyways that's my uh that's my crooked man news i just like the crooked man he's cool but yeah you said they like they make the little spinning music box thing i can't think of what mm-hmm. they're called right now but the crooked man does look like eerie um but like i said the poem itself isn't scary at all so while you're watching that you you get the sense that it's like creepy but also you're like but is it <laughs> so it's kind of weird uh margaret wakes up to janet having a sleepwalking conversation on her bed this is a different night than the one katie talked about where she like correct transforms or whatever or she moves whatever sleepwalks that's the word margaret wakes up to janet having a sleepwalking conversation on her bed and she's like full-blown talking to herself like asking questions 100 percent, and responding um and she says things like oh please don't hurt billy and He's like, too late. I'm already playing with Billy and don't hurt my family and weird things like like weird shit like that. And meanwhile, Billy wakes up his little toy car is in the hallway, He pushes it into the tent and then it gets pushed back out of the tent. He gets spooked as fuck, runs into his mom room, wakes her up. She goes downstairs to see if anyone's in the house and finds Janet sitting in this like leather armchair thing in the corner of their living room. Uh, and Janet's like, oh, must have been sleepwalking again. Um, she wakes her up. Nothing bad happens. I'm just saying just because everyone's like, don't wake up a sleepwalker. So nothing bad happens there. The next morning, Janet is sick. She stays home from school by herself. And that's when you like really get a sense of haunting happening. She is watching TV and the channels keep changing. She stands up. The remote moves to the uh, armchair that we were just talking about. Uh, she hears something yell at her like my house and then we're back to the warren's house you find ed in their office painting a super duper scary portrait of a demon nun and he's like oh this was in my dream last night and i just had to get it out of my head referencing or talking about his paintings is another uh easter egg that i have for really quickly because his um not only was ed warren like the actual man himself he was a painter in real life like he um his paintings contributed to their paranormal investigations and several of his pieces pieces decorated the couple's home in real life and the occult museum um but in the Conjuring Two, you see Ed when he's painting that specific picture that she that Izzy's talking about. In the background, uh, you see paintings he's done 
in prior and one include uh depicts the conjuring house complete with the hanging tree and so they all make references to you know more movies in this in the in the warren verse and it also pays tribute to ed warren who actually was a real painter and did these kinds of things just invite such evil into their house <laughs> yeah i mean that's probably just how he deals with all of that too so that's cool mm-hmm. uh sh- so lorraine sees this recognizes the demon nun from her amityville horror days and starts to like tell ed like we need to stop we need to take a break this is no bueno situation she's scared um, then it jumps back to England over the pond, as they say, <laughs> and more haunting activity is happening in the house. Furniture starts moving around one night and then the mom comes running in and she's like, why are you all kids freaking out? There's nobody in here. And she sees the Ouija board that they had made, which is like magazine pieces, like glued to a piece of paper, like pencils that are, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's-, it's great. It's a homemade, it's a DIY for Pinterest. Solid, solid DIY. And she just like completely forgets that her children saw furniture move and she just immediately starts yelling at them about the Ouija board. So I guess she just thinks that they are imagining things because they're spooking themselves out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she yells at them because she, she's just like, you're scaring yourselves because you're playing with this and it's just playing tricks in your head. Basically. And then as she turns to leave the room a whole dresser like goes slamming into the door so she sees it and at that point from then on she's like i believe you i'm so sorry she's like i take it back i take everything back so they call the police because they think that there's somebody in their house and the police show up and they do there's i'm sorry they're called constables i guess Mm -hmm. they uh do a small investigation listening to the walls and they see a chair slide across the floor and they immediately like leave the house. They're like, "Yep." So they're like, "I'm fucking out." <laughs> uh, we didn't see anything. Too much for my pay grade. Yep. They're like, "I don't get paid enough for this shit." <laughs> uh, good luck. Um, they're like, "Yeah, we'll write it down, and if anyone asks, we'll say, yeah, we saw it.' But I can't do anything about a floating chair. That's a uh, not in my. We don't have a code for that. I don't know what to tell you." <laughs> um, when there wasn't any training. Yeah, they didn't train me how to fight a flying chair. I uh, I I don't know. I can't help you. <laughs> so, as another cut, it then cuts to the Warrens. Because <laughs> we're just going back and forth here. So, you see Lorraine hanging out with Judy. Judy is making a little bracelet out of beads. And Lorraine is kind of, like, dozing off on the couch, basically. And she... Lorraine kind of, like, wakes up and notices that Judy's not in front of her out of, like... And it's just like, wait, where'd she go? And she goes looking for her. And Judy is standing at the end of the hallway... And points all the way down this hallway and goes, who's that? And this is uh, a reference to um, The Shining. So uh, Juan had originally come out and said that that The Shining gave him some inspiration for parts of this movie. Um, so this is one where it mimics the twins that are down the hallway that Danny sees in the um, Outlook Hotel. And so... I think I thought that was really cool, and that wasn't the only shining reference they made 
because in the very beginning at the Amityville house, uh, there is a shot of somebody who is in the seance that looks exactly like um, Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> and I mean, like, to a T, it looks just like Stanley Kubrick. Um, for those of us who don't know, who is Stanley Kubrick? Not me, of course, because... I need you know who to he know. is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so those that you, right? Those that don't know who Stanley Kubrick is, <laughs> uh, he's the director of The Shining, with uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. If you didn't know that, uh, keep listening. <laughs> um. So he is the director of that movie. He did. He did wonderful. It does not follow the the book The Shining worth almost anything, but he did. It obviously has stand stood with time because that Shining the movie is so well known. So, uh, we also changed, um, the olden phrase withstood time to stand with time. Yeah. Follow us for more (laughs) rephrasing hacks. I got this. Um, so just fun little, little things that they did for the shining to give reference to it, which I thought was really cool. But it it, like when I was first watching this movie, as soon as I saw Valak standing at like the the end of the hallway, I was like, that looks exactly like the shining. Cause it's got floral wallpaper on the sides and it's just standing at the end of the hallway. And then it just turns. Uh, Lorraine wanders into this room. And this is my favorite scene in this movie. Um, because it's another creepy as shit. (laughs) It's another one like transition transition. It's perfect. She walks into the room, the shadow of the nun. It's just the shadow, like along the wall. And it starts walking along the wall and it like walks all the way around the room and then it stands behind the painting like it lines up with the painting that ed did perfectly which again why would you hang those things in your house yeah uh, i can't i can't give you an answer to that one because that shit would not be hanging in my house <laughs> i know and a focal point too it's like the only thing on the wall in their office it's so weird. yeah and it's perfect height to be exactly a human height <laughs> And then the hands of the nun, like, or the, yeah, the nun demon come wrap around the side of it. And then it runs at her, like, off the wall. And it crashes into her and it knocks her back into the Amityville house basement. And Lorraine is scared, of course. And so she just starts screaming, be like, tell me your name. And then it jumps from her screaming and Valak yelling at her to uh, Judy is her name, right? I keep wanting to call her April. Everyone just is going to be April from now on. Or Alice. <laughs> or Alice. Yeah, it's Judy. Uh, Judy's like, Mom, wake up, Mom. And Lorraine is like digging with her pencil into her Bible. because she It's had, like stab scribbling, basically. <laughs> she had fallen asleep. And so all of that was like a premonition. Mm-hmm. And... She's just, like, stabbing and destroying her Bible. So, and then, then we jump back to England. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, we continuously jump back and forth with this shit. Um, the police report leaks and news catches wind of the paranormal investigations. And all these paranormal investigators in- show up and... They set up cameras and they start taking talking to Janet, hoping to bring out some activity and figure out what is going on, basically. And that's when they first get recording of Bill talking through Janet uh, when they're all turned around. So, like a ventriloquist puppet. Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
And Bill comes up with the absolute worst knock-knock jokes as a way to introduce himself as Billy Wilkins at age of, of the age of 72. He had gone blind, hit his head, and died of a brain hemorrhage in the chair that Janet was sitting in. And that is all from Bill, quote, Bill's mouth. Um, yes. And then, so at night, they start sleeping across the street. The family no at longer... Their like, at their neighbors. Yeah, they no longer sleep in their own house because the mom is freaked out. Well, and the furniture keeps moving and they can't control anything in the house. And Judy keeps sleepwalking and just a whole bunch yep. of shit. Yeah. Uh, so Johnny wakes up one night because the neighbor's dog is trained to ring a bell by the door whenever he needs to go outside. And he hears mm -hmm. this little bell. Of course, bells. We talked about this in... Uh, it's it's bells, Doe. man. Bells. Bells either mean something super evil or a fairy got its wings. Or nope. an angel got its wings. That's what it is. Just evil. Just oh, evil. just evil? Oh, okay. <laughs> Instead, he ends up getting chased by the crooked man demon, which is... Well, that it. transition is so cool because you see the dog just sitting there and all of a sudden, like, it just starts deforming itself. And then it's a man who starts creepily, creepily saying the poem. And it's like an evil version of the poem, too. Yeah, it, it's scary and dark and I'm going to murder your family kind of thing. Yeah. And <laughs> so Johnny runs into his mom's room or wherever his mom's sleeping. Into the living room where and all of them are sleeping. Turns out to be Janet. Like, So there's so everybody's like, what's going on? What's going on? Nobody like understands it. Like He's like, it's a crooked man. They're like, what? And all of a sudden you hear this terrifying... Uh, crackly voice saying this scary poem scary version of the crooked poem but janet walks in the room and um and then shit just starts flying everywhere some quick quick facts real fast egg egg not eggshells what are they called easter eggs easter eggs eggshells egg <laughs> uh, we're killing it so uh the crooked man is actually played by Javier Botet. Mm -hmm. And that is basically like they, I think they elongated slightly, but for the most part, what you see in that scene is just this Him. guy. He was mm -hmm. born with elongated limbs and legs and arms and whatever, um, which allowed him to be these tall, creepy, skinny characters. And Basically, they just put makeup on him. So that's almost extra creepy. The character of the Crooked Man was designed by the conceptual artist Jared Krzyzewski, who did Krampus, the 2015 movie, and TMNT. 100% makes sense. Um, that's true. There are some Crooked Man-ish characters in there, huh? And he said that director James Wan initially envisioned the Crooked Man with a large moon face. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Those are just some fun tidbits I found about that since we're doing eggshells. Egg. <laughs> Rephrasing. Yep. It's great. So after everything shit goes haywire in the neighbor's house and uh, they break all of their china. Poor neighbors, man. Probably. It was a whole cabinet of china. They're like, we did not sign up for this. You need to leave now. And they're like, fuck you. We're never letting you back in the house. Um... So after that, it cuts back to the Warrens, who are being besieged by the church. Uh, Father Gordon Father Gordon wants them to go to England to investigate and get 
proof. and get yeah basically get proof on this highly pu uh, publicized thing that's going on <laughs> and so you know they're kind of like eh, i don't know if we should do this lorraine really kind of just is she doesn't want to you can tell she does not want to do it she's not comfortable and when lorraine tells ed what she had seen all those years ago with the exorcism with Maurice that you see in Conjuring 1. And you kind of understand why she's been so traumatized by it in the Amityville house. Because she'd been shown the version, the vision of him, uh, Ed, being slain and stabbed by some giant ass something. <laughs> you don't really get an idea of what it is until you see it. And basically, all Ed says was, oh, that's why you locked yourself in our room for eight days? And, and didn't like, eat or drink anything? He's like, girl, you tripping. We'll be fine. And they go to England. Let's go to England. Yeah. Again, they play the God brought us together for a reason card and all that Yeah, shit. it's a really big one there. That's a really big one still. So now everyone, everyone is in England. There will be no more jumping back and forth. We're all together. <laughs> The Warrens meet the family, and just like in the first one, they're, like, super warm, and they try and fix up the house and do nice things. Uh, they meet this investigative group that's been doing all the recordings. They talk to Bill. Again, um, Bill requires that nobody be looking at him so that Janet can speak with Bill's voice. And this is another one of those super awesome transitions because... The camera is completely focused on Ed, and you see a very blurry version of Janet. And then as she turns into Bill, you can see Bill come out in the background. Again, mm -hmm. it's super blurry. And then when he's done talking, it turns back into Janet. It's really cool. It's really subtle. Very cool. Juan is just a mastermind. <laughs> uh, as they are helping the house, they do or not helping the house, helping the family. They do have like some creepy instances. Um, there's a scene where Ed is in the basement helping the mom with a flood that happened. Mm -hmm. And the mom gets pulled under the water. And when she comes up, she's got bite marks on her that match a bite that Janet had received yeah, previously. Mm -hmm. And then like this false tooth filling retainer thing falls to the ground out of nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, like, really subtle haunting things happened. Lorraine says she can't sense anything going on in the house, but they are convinced that they're haunted. Until uh, the camera crew catches a video of Janet trashing their kitchen, which she had claimed was the ghost and all this stuff happening. And they see the video and they're like, see, it's all fake. Janet's faking it. So then everyone leaves. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, let's leave. This is fake. This is bullshit. And then Ed and Lorraine are on the train. And Lorraine is like, man, I just feel it in my gut that something isn't right. Uh, Ed puts together a couple of different. Uh, it's two different recording tapes. Recordings. Yeah. Of Bill talking. And it turns out that he's been trying to warn them this whole time. Uh, because Bill is being held to that house by the he's demon. Yeah, his spirit is just being used as a pawn, he's basically. The, he's the uh, red herring, the scapegoat, whatever you, yeah. want to, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So his his soul, his his spirit is just being used by by the demon. Uh, so Lorraine and Ed figured out. They run back to the house. 
Lorraine is like, oh my gosh, I know his name. I know how to, we can get rid of the demon. And she is pulling out her Bible that she- Well, it's known, it's known that you can gain uh, leverage over the demon if you know its name. So that's why she goes searching. And for some reason, she kept this like- Destroyed as fuck Bible. (laughs) Yeah, that at the time made no sense to keep. Um, She goes flipping through it and she's like spelling it out. And it's V-A-L-A-K. And she's like, Valak. Um, Meanwhile, Ed has already ran into this house and he's just getting his ass kicked. (laughs) He's just having a real rough time. Uh, So then it shows Janet in the room and she like jumps off her window. Ed catches her at the last second, of course. A lightning strike comes and hits a tree and it looks just like the big spike that Lorraine has seen in her visions that will kill Ed. So she's super freaked out. She runs into the room. Valak is there. She yells, I know your name and banishes Valak to hell. He gets really mad. He's like, no, mommy, don't want you go. Stomps his feet, goes back to hell. Or does he? And then Ed gets saved and happy ending. That's how it <laughs> With uh, their house trashed. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk real quick about Valak. Uh-huh. Um, but first, I just want to say overall, like, I, this movie is so true to the first one. Like, we talked about the cinematography is very similar. Mm-hmm. It's all so good. I still prefer the first one. I know somebody who really likes the second one better. Um, I think probably just because the storyline, but the nun part kind of was like, eh, for me. Um, a lot of people loved the nun and that's why they did the spinoff on it, on that one originally first. To me, it was a little bit on the nose, but, uh, it's a good story. Like I like, it's creepy. It's definitely creepy. It's got a lot of those silent creeps that we were talking about. Anything you want to add before I jump into Valak? No, you go for it. All right. So, uh, this demon Teach Valak. Teach me about this bastard. Yes. <laughs> he, so first, uh, powers of Valak that we saw, um, he can control ghosts somehow. Um, and move things. And crosses apparently don't really upset it. That was as far as I got in this movie. So at first when I watched this, I thought Valak was just like trying to torment Lorraine <laughs> and be like, look what I'm going to do to your husband. Uh, but I guess, and I was like, wow, how obvious, like, just like every superhero movie, the villain is just telling, like spilling the beans on their whole plan before it even happens. So the good guys know what to do to end it. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess, according to Juan... Those images of the nun were actually premonitions, probably sent by God, uh, to warn the Warrens, and they weren't, Valak had no idea that those were happening. Like, there wasn't a two-way connection going on. Again, I don't want to talk too much about the origin of the nun demon part of this, just because we'll We'll probably probably end up do it later. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do those movies later. So, they're just, they're good on their own. This will be... Again, my version of brief. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw in real fast. The last job that I had was in a hospital that had been founded by a Catholic nunnery. 
in Ireland. And so in our building, there was a portrait of a nun. And it was fucking creepy. <laughs> eerily similar. <laughs> to Dude, the I painting. would hate walking by that shit. So every time, it, like whenever I would leave and it was dark out at night and I'd walk past it, um, out of the corner of my eye, it was very Valaki. It was super white. Dude, I'd walk, I'd walk past that with like my my hand over my eyes, being like, "Fuck this, fuck this, fuck no, this." No, I had to look at it just to be like, because when you look at it straight on, I was like, "Oh, that's clearly not a nun demon." But out of the corner of my eye, it was creepy. But I just wanted to get shit. killed. That's yep. That's scary. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like that. So the first known reference to the name Valak as a demon is found in a 17th century grimoire. I love that word, grimoire. I love the word grimoire. Uh, which, if you don't know, it's kind of the evil version of a book of shadows. Yeah. Uh, titled Clavicula, like Benicula. <laughs> it's like a vampire clavicle. <laughs> Fucking love Benicula. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, Clavicula Salomonis Regis, uh, or in English, I guess I could have read that version, the Key of Solomon. The grimoire bearing... The name of Solomon lists 72 demons that the king supposedly vanquished during his reign, providing those who read it with the names and instructions for expelling them should they come in contact with such spirits. So basically, if you've seen How to Train Your Dragon and they have the Book of the Dragons, that's what it is. Valak is depicted as a child riding a two-headed dragon. Oh, dragons. See, I knew. Cool. This particular demon is often referenced in different dark spell books and demon manuals. <clears throat> I don't know why when you hear about his powers. Valen Valak controls a legion of serpent spirits and can summon living serpents to see and do his evil bidding. His special power, according to this text, is finding snakes and hidden treasures while leading an army of 30 demons. Not a very big army. Apparently... Whoever decided to name this nun Valak didn't actually look into any of the Valak lore because none of those attributes are given to this nun. <laughs> right. Um, according to the Warren's son-in-law, so the husband of Judy, the Warrens claimed that they encountered a spectral nun while on a trip to England, again, uh, the haunted Borley Church in the 1970s according to lore the churchyard's ghost was a nun that had been buried alive in the brick walls of the covenant centuries ago after having an affair with a monk sure. apparently that was a no-no um i found some of this info on allthingsinteresting.com again another really <laughs> a really good website actually uh lorraine i guess met that nun ghost face to face at midnight one evening in the church graveyard uh, that was basically it. Like, I'm, she just walked up and went, hey, nun. And the nun went, sup. And then they, like, walked past each other. Um, Allegedly. In choosing to make the nun, I'm sorry, in choosing to make the demon a nun, Juan said, and I quote, because it is a demonic vision that haunts Lorraine that only attacks her, I wanted something that would attack her faith, and so that was eventually how the idea of a very iconographic image of a holy icon cemented in my head. Which is very obvious when you're talking about hauntings. It's always like something against God or something. Oh, yeah. Well, um, you get that in The Conjuring 1 when they, it always knocks three times. That's supposed to be like a, a thing against the Holy Trinity. Yeah. 
He also says that the vision of the nun are just premonitions, like I said. The only thing about the, or the part that leads into the premonitions, I guess, is another eggshell uh, that we will stomp on and make a million more eggshells. See? That one makes sense. Um, Any eggshells to share. Throughout the movie, in the background of Lorraine and Ed's happenings at their house, you Mm -hmm. see the letters V-A-L-A-K spelled out in like random places mm-hmm. so um i think there's <clears throat> four instances let's see it can be seen on the walls around uh around ed and lorraine's breakfast table after lorraine first see ed's painting of the nun you can see it there um it's also sped out spelled out in wooden letters on the bookshelf when lorraine has that vision where she writes valak in her um bible, bible. and then even and again this is why i mentioned the bracelet that judy was making because the bracelet she was making was spelling out the name valak in little cubes and like the little um the the square beads that have letters on them it was spelling out valak so if you think the premonition thing is what's going on then it's like subliminal messaging basically yeah so that was interesting um yeah I thought that was really cool. And again, the Valak in this has like those yellow glowing eyes. So you can tell when people are possessed. They're just so haunting and terrifyingly gross and scary. (laughs) And again, while filming this movie, there were some supposedly, or as you say, allegedly on set happenings. Mm -hmm. Um, They kicked off this whole filming by blessing the set they had like a priest come and do this whole thing they did they took a video of it you can watch it on youtube it's really interesting and weird that's good yeah i watched it (laughs) they would hear construction sounds coming from like under their soundstage i think or like their set Uh, Mm -hmm. but nobody was ever doing anything so there was just like ghosts trying to be helpful and they were like stop working and the ghosts were like i'm sorry I just wanted to use the drill bit. (laughs) (laughs) I guess at some point, Patrick Wilson, who plays Ed, was like just randomly filming stuff with his phone. And he caught on video a curtain like moving by itself behind Juan while he was directing a scene. Um, And I guess they were like, oh, there's a ghost. I don't know if There's that's a spirit standing behind you. I didn't find Run. that. Yeah, I didn't find that video anywhere, but I hmm. guess it's there. Uh, the remaining members of the Hodgson family also visited the set, and Francis O'Connor, who portrays the mom, refused to meet them uh, because she didn't want it to like interfere with her acting process. Hmm. Uh, I didn't find anything else about the Hodgson family other than that. Um, as far as like them visiting the set and stuff. Right. So then we get into the true life story, the Enfield haunting. And by true life, I mean their investigation. The Warren's investigation. In case anybody has any questions on that one. Not sure why you would, but you never know. So the <laughs> entity that was supposedly haunting the Enfield house is described as a poltergeist, which is a malicious spirit that haunts people through physical disturbances, such as shuffling things around a room 
Because throwing dressers is apparently a shuffle now. Levi- yeah, yes. <laughs> levitating its victims or banging on doors at night. Da, da, da. At the time of the haunting, Janet was 11. I think she was 10 in this movie. The ages so. didn't really matter, but she was 11. Her older sister was 12. And they were the first ones to, like, start shouting ghost. Uh, they saw furnitures move. They were, the whole family was hearing knocking on the wall. Um, the mom legitimately thought that it was burglars or like a drifter or something. So she did call the police. And there is a report stating that a chair moved of its own accord. Hmm. Uh, they also had a bunch of people come to the house. Um, so all of those little clips that you see in the movie where they're like investigating it, the news people, <clears throat> those reports are real. Or were actually done. So people claimed Legos and marbles would start flying around the room. That they would be hot to the touch. Clothing that was originally folded would like jump off the table and fall on the floor. The sound of dogs barking could be heard in empty rooms. Lights would flicker. All the usual things, right? And Peggy eventually, because the police weren't doing anything and she didn't know what else to do, enlisted the assistance of the local press called the Daily Mirror and the tabloid sent a photographer, Graham Morris. And he is the one who documented all those cool photos that you see at the end of the movie in the credits. Um, Because again, they do a side-by-side of the movie version and the real version. Just like the first one. Uh, And because of him and the other investigators, the Enfield case is believed to be one of the best documented paranormal cases in history, whether Makes you, sense. you know, believe they were real or not. Right. And after he put out the story with his pictures, a team of paranormal investigators from the Society of Psychical Research. So I said that's a weird word, psychical. It's like psychical. bicycle, but psychical. I know it's it's awkward makes you pause society yeah not psychological but psychical because you're psychic Mm -hmm. interesting right paranormal it it should be paranormal (laughs) really confusing uh society of psychical research included (laughs) maurice gross who is the man with the mustache in the movie and anita gregory who's the psychologist skeptic i guess uh along with guy lion playfair who is not depicted in the movie they were present and they did film or record the voice of Bill Wilkins firsthand and they did confirm any details that were provided with his living son. So he he had indeed been a man who had died in that house of a brain hemorrhage many years prior. While many believed that the kids were faking it, the Warrens thought it was a demonic possession. Nothing came of what the Warrens claimed because there was they were just getting hammered by people being like too much backlash yeah you're fake none of this is real so i think at that point uh they people, said fuck it <laughs> well like the church and stuff doesn't want to be in those kind of lights so they kind of yeah. backed off from the warrants which you see in the movie a little bit mm-hmm. in 1980 uh so a few years after this i guess janet did admit that once or twice 
her and her sister or siblings would fake stuff going on in the house uh, just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch them. They always caught them. And just ahead of the movie's release, Janet told Daily Mail that only 2% of the occurrences were faked. So to me, I'm not saying that this happened, right? But she's not saying, yeah, it was all faked. She's saying they were kids constantly being watched, stuck in a house, bored as fuck because no one wanted to hang out with them. So every once in a while, they might bend a spoon and be like, look, look, somebody bent a spoon just to see if the people could figure out what they were doing. But of course, people jumped on that and were like, Olive, it's a lie. I love how the skeptics included professional magicians and ventriloquists. They're like, yeah. this is all a lie. Fuck you guys. <laughs> I know. They were like, um, I'm a professional magician and this could have easily been faked. I um, know exactly how this is done. Exactly. And then the ventriloquist went in there and was like, uh, Janet definitely knows how to throw her voice and she's just a really good ventriloquist. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, which would be funny if she grew up and became a ventriloquist. It would be funny as shit. <laughs> And in the real life movie, of course, or the real life movie, good Lord, in the real investigation, the mm-hmm. Warrens did not do any exorcism practices. They didn't do really intervene at all. Like I said, they were there and they were like, meh, demonic possession. And they were then, they were told to check it out. They just checked it out. And then they left and that was it. Yeah. Um, in the fall of 1978, when a priest visited the house, things stopped. I don't know why they didn't do that first, but, you know, whatever. So. Yeah, it's fine. And the family that moved in after them did report some strange things, too, including hearing voices downstairs, encountering a man walking in and out of rooms. Um, they only lived there for two months and then they left. <laughs> I and can't do this. I didn't find anything about it after that, but I didn't look too hard. The uh, Hodgson family was not really excited to find out that they were being made into a movie. Janet and her mom have spoken out about how these occurrences affected their mental health. Uh, Janet got like institutionalized for a little bit. Um, during school, she got bullied hardcore. And... You know, you have people just constantly telling you what a liar you are. You're fake, blah, blah, blah. So, and then same with her mom. Her mom had depression and all sorts of stuff. So they weren't really excited about it. Um, In addition to all those awful things, BBC made a mockumentary in 1992 called Ghost Watch. And apparently what they did was, uh, it was kind of like an investigative team. They had people come on and give like fake but real um testimonials yeah it's very much like that vampire show you were talking about how it's like a Mm -hmm. documentary but it's fake so they did that but people because of the way that it ended thought that it was real and it really freaked them out so bbc Mm -hmm. has never played this on tv i guess since um and you can find it on the interweb and it's got like its own cult following so Interesting. I, we should find it. That'd be cool. Um, that was basically it for that. Uh, like I said, they 
a few years or like a year or two after they started it, it just stopped so it wasn't anything crazy because they're not weird ed and lorraine founded a new england society of psychic research because they're not weird yeah not psychical research but yeah psychic research yeah um but this is the oldest ghost hunting group in new england so that's rad i'm gonna see if they have like a facebook page <laughs> i bet they, i'm sure they do and that's conjuring too it was a quick not really a quick it was a full-length episode <laughs> for the conjuring 2 Go see the third one. Episode Watch two. it now. Yeah. It's on HBO Max, and you can go see it in theaters if you want. Next episode comes out in a few days, which will be Conjuring 3. It's going to be a long one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot to go into it. But, yeah. Good movie. Go watch them. Watch all the spinoffs. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't, you could always watch every single one of them that's in the Warren, the Warren verse, as Izzy likes to say. And uh, then watch the new one, just like I did. It was worth it. It was really fun to do, because most of them are streaming. So Netflix has a bunch. Netflix, HBO just added all of the Annabelles. HBO. I don't know uh, what The Nun is. The Nun I found on YouTube TV. Um, I also believe it's streaming. La Llorona is either yes. on Amazon hulu or netflix <laughs> one of those three um the nun is also on hbo max la yervona is i believe i believe that one's on hbo max too it's a it's not required to watch for the warren verse of course but it's no it does associated, yes so correct very very loosely um incorporated into it I don't see where that one is um, streaming, though. Sorry. But. Oh, no, it's on HBO Max, too. Yep. They're pretty much all on HBO Max. <laughs> I bet they did that on purpose. So in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. Find us on Facebook under the same name, horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. We post the same stuff on both. So pick one, mm-hmm. pick both, do whatever. Except I can't figure out how to put gifts on Instagram. Uh, so those will be on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what else? You can, e- you can yeah. email us at horrorcatswitchhats, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, follow us. Subscribe. We're out there on Pretty much most podcast platforms, I think. If you're listening to us, like us, subscribe us, follow us, rate us. Uh, pet your cats. Don't curse us. Meow, meow, meow. If I die, please do a seance and call me and we'll see if it works. I got you. Same with me, though. Yeah. Deal. Okay. Deal. Cool. cool. I'll leave a lock of my hair um, in a baggie underneath the desk that I am currently recording on. That's the thing you can use to call me. Cool, cool. Um, I'm pretty sure my hairbrush is full of my hair.